everybody. Matthew and I are back with another episode of Clean Tech Talks. Uh, today we've got a couple stories uh, that we think are really exciting. We've got a green bond story talking about um, some crowdfunded approach to pulling together green capital in Canada. Um, our second story is going to be about Tesla Model S service screens and um, some new screens that we got our eyes on a few weeks back. And then Matthew's going to give us an update on some EV EV rebates in Ontario. So Matthew, you want to jump in with that? Yep. All right. So uh, starting off with the uh, green bond story in Canada, uh, we've had a number of efforts in Canada to, to make available to retail investors green bonds, the ability to invest in sort of sustainability uh, positive or environment positive projects while earning a financial return, which is important and actually a little bit easier than normal to do in today's zero-ish interest rate environment. One of the challenges to the issuing of uh, retail accessible financing is the fact that the transaction cost, the cost of signing people up, tends to be a lot higher than the cost of, say, signing one institution up to take $100 million worth of green bonds. This is one reason why a lot of the uh, green bonds that are being issued right now are available only to institutional investors, which basically means your large financial um, organizations who will take a stake in green bonds to diversify their fixed income portfolios. We have, to the best of my knowledge this week, the first case of a green bond issue which is available to people across Canada. Uh, Hopefully there are uh, similar things available already in the United States through a startup named Copower. And in this case, the a green bond issues a 5% annual return backed by the savings uh, slash feed and tariffs obtained through the green investments that the bonds are financing. And it's a, it's quite an exciting thing. The limit is still $5,000, so a little bit on the high side for your ideal case to reach your everyday Joe Q public, but still a lot more accessible than the millions of dollars one would typically find in a institutional round of green bond issuance. There have been some local community bonds or cooperative uh, programs which have been issued, but those tend to be uh, restricted to a particular province due to the regulations surrounding cooperative organizations and so on and so forth. Uh, One of the things that the a press release uh, here that I've got uh, notes, and we will make this available in the show notes, is that um, only about one billion of the green bonds issued globally, about 60-odd billion uh, in U.S. terms in green bonds, uh, have been denominated in Canadian dollars, have been in, in Canada. So this is a good opportunity for us uh, northern neighbors to start punching at our weight class in terms of being able to do this kind of financing. And it's a, it's a good story, and hopefully uh, we can see more of this uh, coming through. The big breakthrough that Copower has had is to virtualize most of its uh, uh, customer administrative paperwork, basically to do everything online, as much online as possible. That brings the cost of uh, bringing on new customers down and makes it more, more uh, feasible to access the pool of data from regular folks like you know, like listeners, like uh, 
us co-hosts, where earning a few percent interest is definitely uh, something we'd be interested in, considering our other options are lower. Whereas, again, for a, for a large investment bank, they'd probably want a more aggressive return because they have a wider selection of investments to choose from. Um, Kyle, uh, do you want to give your thoughts on that? I like this investment. I like the approach of, of the crowdfunding. Um, it's also neat that it it's in a it's available in an RRSP tax free savings account, and so there's kind of a tax benefit as well, um, as is typical with a lot of retirement funds. But yeah, I, I love that that they're taking a very aggressive approach to this and really trying to rally the the money of the crowd to roll that up to a single capital fund that that they can use to speak with a much louder voice. And Michelle Brownlee, the director of policy at the Ottawa think tank uh, Sustainable Prosperity said that, quote, green bonds are moving very quickly from niche to mainstream and that this could potentially be very big, end quote. I mean, obviously, we're talking in terms of billions of dollars, and so it's already at a scale that's worth speaking about for sure. Uh, but I think it's a great platform for the green investment to just explode. And I think as the, the stable returns are proven in a market that's generally rather volatile of late, I think that's going to start to become a much more attractive option for investors. So I'm, I love that this is happening. I love that they're really leveraging technology to to maximize the accessibility there. So it's a very neat development and um, looking forward to more of this as I think green technology and green investments become more and more proven and more widely accepted. Yeah, I guess maybe if I could just add one more thing or try and articulate one thing which I didn't get around to in my earlier rambling uh, is is that there's a, a very big difference between what a retail investor, a regular human being, uh, will will accept in terms of rate of return. Over here, our, our high interest savings accounts earn maybe, I think, 0.8%, maybe 1%, depending on... Uh, where you shop around, your typical bank account will earn you know, virtually nothing. It's like 0.05 or something like that percent. Uh, a financial institution will want to have a, a higher rate of return because they uh, obviously have employees and so on and so forth. I don't have a good grasp of what uh, their going rate is really, but I would imagine that they would want something ideally in the 10-ish percent range, perhaps a bit lower in today's interest rate environment. Uh, but when you get to... Uh, large-scale corporations, and Kyle, maybe you might be able to speak to this from uh, from your experience at Procter & Gamble. Uh, when I was working at Dow Chemical, and this, this applies for many other chemical plants, when you're doing capital investment, you want an internal rate of return of 40-50%. Basically, you want to be able to pay back your, your investment in savings within two years, which kind of gives you a, a sense of the fact that um, shifting into a different category, you know, from the uh, internal projects at a chemical plant versus institutional investors down to retail investors, you are able to access pools of money which are satisfied with more modest rates of return, which means you have suddenly all this uh, a much greater galaxy of projects you can choose from and implement simply because they might not reach the cutoff for some of your uh, larger scale investment firms or, or, or whatnot. Like you said, I mean, the average consumer, the average retail investor will accept a much lower rate there. So I think it's great. I think, I mean, for me, I, I would look at that as a great foundational kind of baseboard investment for good, stable, long-term returns. So really exciting development there and looking forward to more of that. I think we could jump into our second story here, um, Tesla Model S service screen. So um, I recently purchased a certified pre-owned Tesla Model S. We've talked about this on some of the past shows. 
And one of the only issues I've had with the car uh, was related to one of the, the door handles. Actually, the I would say the door handles overall are a bit sensitive. They don't always open up. Not sure if there's an issue with the mechanism or the sensor, but the, the door handle will actually extend. But it, when you actually go to pull on it, it doesn't actually actuate the door opening mechanism. So it's not a physical handle. And because of that, when you go in there and try to yank on it, it it's a bit awkward and you're just kind of stuck outside the car, not able to get in. So anyway, I had a, um, a service call in for that. Tesla sent out a Ranger to, to my house, actually, to, to come and service the handle. And um, while the tech was servicing the handle, like he had the door torn apart in the back rear, he was in there. He also had to update the firmware for the whole car, which was interesting for a door handle swap, which typically would be just a mechanical replacement. But um, obviously the Tesla Model S is a, a different beast. But while he was doing that, the, the laptop was hooked up to my car via a little port in the front left side. And uh, my, I noticed that my, my actual screen, uh, the 17-inch touchscreen, had some new data on it. So he was actually logged into the service account there. And I just jumped in the car and started tapping through the different screens. And I was just blown away by how much information was there. Uh, I think one of the, the funniest things for me was that in one of the service screens, it called out kind of the birth date of the car. So that was a really neat thing for me to see. I wish that was something that we could view as like a more customer-facing screen because I think it's a fun thing to to have visibility of. But underneath that, there was just a ton of, of detail. Like it had the unique ID for the firmware for each piece of hardware in the car. Um, there were a lot of like signal tracing, so you could see when each um, signal or module within the car or battery within the car was being triggered or, or touched or talked to and communicated to. There was a little kind of Easter egg almost. It's not quite an Easter egg because we've known it's coming, but um, Spotify, there was a little Spotify test application in there kind of hinting at that coming to the U.S. because that's already been deployed globally. And overall, I mean, it was really neat. I, I used to kind of play with smartphones a lot all the way back to the days of the original iPhone. And for me, it really kind of reemphasized the fact that the Model S and the way that the car is built and thought about is it's more of a smartphone than a traditional car. And that was neat. And I think what it really called out for me or got me excited about was the fact that um, I, I could see us getting to a point where Tesla would actually offer an autopilot hardware upgrade and be able to assimilate that into the vehicle. Um, because if you're just talking about a smartphone, you add a new module on, the base firmware for the car, like the operating system, if you will, already has all of the the code that it needs to talk to the car and the hardware for all of the different versions that are out there. And so really all you need to do is add on the hardware and then update the firmware on that hardware and you should be able to have full functionality. So I think that seems like a really neat possibility for uh, the Model S. I don't know that that's available. I haven't heard Tesla talking about that, but Overall, it was a really neat kind of discovery for me, and I took some pictures, posted those up in an article that I wrote up. So really exciting to see what's going on there and kind of get a peek behind the scenes there. Yeah, that uh, that does speak to the, the fact that the uh, the typical car is now, like your typical operating system, getting more and more lines of code. I was able to pull up some information uh, from uh, the awesome website, awesome data visualization website, informationisbeautiful.net, where they noted that, uh, for example, um, uh, Windows Vista, admittedly, a number of years old, uh, it had about 50 million lines of code, whereas the average uh, uh, high-end car at the time this uh, this post was written, which was, uh, I guess... 
I imagine it's a couple years old now, I'll get the, the exact date, was on the order of 100 million lines of code. This about, uh, yeah, as of, uh, as of last year. Uh, I imagine that Tesla would have uh, have more lines of code, but uh, uh, to, to put it in comparison, 100 million lines of code is actually larger than macOS Tiger, macOS X Tiger, uh, which was on the order of 80 million lines of code, and uh, it it does in, it does show that uh, even though we tend to think that uh, cars are only starting to become smart, starting to become a sort of software. Uh, software vehicles, as it were, that automakers are indeed plowing a lot of uh, resources and a lot of uh, uh, I guess software brains into their vehicles, even if we might not see it yet. Uh, one could imagine that with the capabilities that Tesla has added to its vehicles, with the on-air updates and so on and so forth, that they would be uh, uh, you know, substantially higher on the, uh, on the number of lines of code written for their vehicles as well. But yeah, just a very interesting, uh, a very interesting uh, experience, I'm sure, Kyle, in terms of putting in perspective that wow, you know, this uh, this isn't you know your dad's Oldsmobile, as the expression goes. Yeah, I think being a technophile, um, I really would love it if Tesla opened up kind of a power user mode or advanced mode for the car, where you could go in and actually see more of the inner workings of the vehicle. So maybe. Not quite a diagnostic screen, but more of a, hey, what's going on with my car screen? Or making it more graphically friendly or approachable for users. I think that would be really neat. Uh, like I mentioned, the birthday part just seems like a fun little fact that I think they could integrate into some of the, the view-only screens that would be uh, neat for users to see. But I also understand that for a typical luxury car, you kind of want to be hands-off with those types of details. So it's an interesting paradigm. I look at it kind of like the Android and iPhone world, where Apple tends to keep the iPhone very locked up. They don't let people see kind of under the hood, if you will. They don't want people to know that there's even an engine or that there's any circuitry even going on in there. Um, they just want it to work flawlessly um, with mixed success on that on that um, objective. But I think that's their desire, whereas Android is okay with the uh, product being a little bit more raw. And um, I don't know, it doesn't feel as polished. And, and that's just seems like a two different approaches to the same problem. So I feel like Tesla is going with the Apple or iPhone uh, approach, but I, I would personally, kind of being an Android user myself, I would personally like it if they had a little bit more um, visibility for users to uh, to the, the inner workings of the, the system myself. So it was a really neat kind of opportunity for me to dig into those screens, and I jumped on that thing like nothing else because I just love that stuff. So it was really exciting for me, and I... Uh, I would love to see more of that coming from Tesla. Thanks, Kyle. I just want to note that the province of Ontario has recently uh, decided to somewhat expand or uh, reinforce its electric vehicle support by updating slash increasing its uh, electric uh, vehicle uh, rebate program. Before this uh, recent announcement was made, the incentives ranged from 5000 to $8,500 in the form of a rebate as opposed to tax credit. Uh, and uh, the base now is going to be $6,000 to $10,000, where one would uh, be eligible to receive an additional $1,000 incentive for vehicles with five or more seats, uh, perhaps recognizing that the BMW i3, the Chevy Volt, the earlier one, uh, had only four-seat capacity. 
uh, and the possibility of uh, providing an additional $3,000 for vehicles with larger battery capacities. And this would seem to be pointing towards the Chevrolet Bolt EV with a B as in banana, uh, and the, uh, you know, the Tesla Model 3, uh, and uh, perhaps the next generation Leaf, and so forth. Uh, one thing which was uh, somewhat amended, perhaps reflecting the optics of uh, providing rebates to people buying expensive vehicles, was that the cap for incentives for vehicles above $75,000 was placed at $3,000. So perhaps the best way to approach this for the uh, for the Tesla fan would be that although the Tesla Model S and the Tesla Model X uh, would only be eligible for a $3,000 rebate, the Tesla Model 3 could well be eligible for a $14,000 rebate, which would be, frankly, quite fine by myself, and I'm sure from uh, many people who want to see the uh, electric vehicles uh, do as well as they possibly can in the marketplace. This is a an extension of the Ontario's um, ongoing efforts to expand its green investments and infrastructure, and it's just a a nice change to see, given that there has been uh, there have been efforts to roll back the support for electric vehicle uh, purchases in a number of jurisdictions around the world. We'll have more on this, and I'll provide a link in the show notes to uh, elaborate on some of the uh, details, the finer details of this, as well as uh, to highlight some fine work that Sean Hart had uh, done from the uh, uh, Nissan Canada Owners Facebook group in terms of deducing how the uh, rebate system worked. Yeah, that's really neat. Thanks for that update. Um... I think it's really exciting to see that the, the funding was increased. And I do like that scaled approach where they're paying per per seat in the car. They're giving you a bonus over four seats. I think it actually could be kind of scaled all the way down even where you, you're given a base credit for two seats and then four seats, five seats, and maybe a seven seat. Uh, I don't know if there's value in doing that, but it seems logical that the more seats you're adding, I think that's their, their theory behind the, the, the way they funded it, but the more seats the car has, uh, the more passengers are going to be driving in the electric car, and thus the less gasoline you're using. So it's a really neat approach, and I think that's uh, it's commendable for sure. Right. Yeah, so it's like uh, basically in order to avoid the scenario where the electric vehicles are limited in terms of only a, a four-seat structure, they, as long as you have five or more seats, then uh, they will provide the extra $3,000, which I think, uh, as you noted, will be a, a benefit because a lot of people, and uh, our family included, are a little bit wary of the fact that if we only have four seats, we can't really have a visitor or, or, or someone else uh, as a passenger in our vehicle, whether one of uh, our kids' grandparents or something is uh, hanging out for, for the day, something like that. So, uh, so yeah, it is, a, it is quite a positive, and you know, looking forward, hoping for a more similar policy support going forward, as opposed to the sort of uh, uh, rollbacks that uh, we have seen in some jurisdictions. So, as a reminder, uh, this week's podcast is sponsored by Pono Home. Uh, Pono Home can help make your home healthier while also saving you money with a personalized in-home assessment that can immediately help reduce your utility bills, remove toxins from your home, and make you and your family more comfortable. Check them out at PonoHome.com. Uh, 
And make sure to check us out next week, uh, hopefully through your favorite uh, podcast feed, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, and join us next time to get your electric fix. 